0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So give you just a little update on what is next for us. We're in 1 Corinthians in our series, Broken Body. After today, we'll take a four-week break and we'll spend time in Advent, a series called In Between celebrating his coming anticipating his return and then take a couple of weeks to talk about a new year's challenge and core values and then back in first Corinthians and we'll finish out this book in our broken body series. Want to give a big thank you to Pastor Casey as we celebrate families helping their kids know Christ, grateful for baby dedication today and I want to say thanks also to the folks who've decorated the tree behind me and others great Uh, opportunity for us to look around the room and remember that Jesus Christ came for us. And I want to say thank you also to all of you. You may have heard our food drive this year. We collected more food than we've ever collected before for families at Thanksgiving, impacting over 50 families. In fact, through your generosity, we collected so much that we shared some with Churches Touching Lives for Christ. So thank you for that. Amen. And uh, we, we are starting now a gift drive for those same families and love for you to consider participation in that. Uh, I love it because it's a great opportunity to bless families at Christmas, but also have personal friends who are blessed by the gift drive. So I encourage you to check that out. We're in 1 Corinthians 9, the end of the chapter today. The last couple of weeks, Pastor Dave walked us through First uh, Corinthians 8, Paul looking at idolatry and loving our weaker brothers, and then yet the last week we looked at, at how Paul laid down his rights for the sake of the gospel, and he's going to expound on that this week. As I was preparing this week, I, I, I ended up it just happened to listen to a podcast. I don't listen to very often, but I do occasionally. I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, and I'm going to tell you more about that later in the service, but he was talking about religion this week, and he was talking about Christianity, and he said, I've got some good friends who are Christians, and they're great people, but I just wish they didn't take these things that they believe in and, and, and consider them gospel, <laughs> which is really an odd thing to say, Right? But because it is the gospel that we believe, but but it's a bit more odd because actually probably the issue is not that we take these things too much as gospel, but that we don't understand just how gospel or how good news it is that Jesus Christ came and lived and died for the sins of the world and rose from the dead. And this gospel and it being shared in all the world is what Paul's life is oriented around. So we're gonna read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27 together. And as we do, I want you to listen for this phrase that you hear over and over and over, that I might. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law That in a race, all runners compete, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified well father we humble ourselves before you and we pray god that we might be the sort of people who like paul to the jews became as a jew and to the greeks became as a greek to the people in our life who don't know you that we might become like them in order to help them know christ that we would be the sort of people whose life is oriented around the that i might that we would live as we live and do what we do and be who we are for the sake of the gospel, that we might share in its blessings with those around us who don't yet know your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, as we look at this, there are kind of three words I want us to think about as we walk through this text and we'll look at the first half then we'll look at the second half and then jump back at part of that second half and and I want us to think about the wisdom that Paul uses as he lives. What's the wisdom that guides his life? What is the work that he does and what is the wreath that he is after? So first, first just the wisdom. The wisdom, see Paul's life is not built on human wisdom. It's built around the concept of a crucified Messiah who died for the sake of others, who laid his life down that others might live. So his life is not built on the human wisdom that seeks to look out for number one. His life is not built on the human wisdom that moves so quickly toward tribalism and divisiveness. His life is rather built on the togetherness we can share as believers in Christ from all the nations, the hope of reconciliation that's given to us in Christ. Paul expresses this more fully in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul wants people to be reconciled to God. He wants it desperately. It impacts every bit of his life. Here's how he expresses it. In, 1 Corinthians, or in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that the love of Christ controls us and we know this, that one died for all, therefore all have died, and, and he died for all, that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then he, he says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation, that old things have gone away and new things have come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul wants people to be reconciled to God and so he becomes like a Jew to the Jews, like a Greek to the Greeks, Weak to those who are weak, so that they may be saved. He does it all for the sake of the gospel, so that they may share in his blessings. Paul orients his life around people knowing Jesus. He becomes like the people he's trying to reach in order to help them know Jesus. He has an incarnational ministry because Jesus was God incarnate, he came in the flesh so that we might know and be reconciled to God. So even how Paul responds to adversity, how he responds to critics, it's with this thought in mind, how might I win them to Christ? Now Paul didn't have to do this. Paul was hurt by the Jews, he was hurt by the Gentiles. His past pain could have paralyzed his present Imagine if instead of saying to the Jews, I became a Jew, Paul said, do you, do you know what those people did to me? I mean, they, t- they took everything from me. I-, I found out about the Messiah we had all been waiting for, and I just wanted to tell them, and they took everything from me. To the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win them to Christ. I was trying to help them to the Greeks, I became a Greek. I I wanted to welcome these people in. I mean, they they beat me publicly in Philippi. They put me in stocks. I was left for dead in Thessalonica. I stood up for them in Antioch. I, I told my brothers they were part of the family and they just harmed me. See, Paul could have let his pain paralyze his present, but he didn't. He didn't, he did it all, what he did for the sake of the gospel a a warning for us we've got to be really careful when it when we think about people who might be our adversaries when we think about it might even be people who we're going to sit at the thanksgiving table with people we're going to interact with in the holidays that that we don't let pain from the past paralyze us from our present purpose in christ don't let pain from the past paralyze you from your present purpose in Christ. A couple of ways we do this. One is we kind of get a us-them mentality. We look at people as adversaries, though our battle is not against flesh and blood. We look, people, we look at people as adversaries rather than see the opportunity we have to help lost people know Jesus. They're just like sheep without a shepherd. The, the second thing that we do is we can live in kind of a mindset of victimhood where, where we're just focused on ourselves and on our pain. See, a, a friend of mine said it this way this week, you have to be good news to share good news. So what do we have to offer the world? If our minds are on ourselves and our pain rather than Jesus and his purposes, we won't end up being all that good of news. So, just sometimes, what we do is instead of offering Jesus to the world, we just try to make people like us. It's not like we have 762 codified laws like the Pharisees had. There are all these rules that they had, but it's more like what Jesus describes in Matthew twenty-three, four. You put burdens on people's backs that are too heavy to bear, and you're not willing to carry, carry them yourself. It, it might it might look like this. I, I, I grew up in in Deweyville, Texas. Um, which is something to be really proud of. If you're not from Deweyville, you might not know. And Deweyville's right on a river that splits Texas and Louisiana, and I was fortunate enough to live on the correct side of the river. And, and in Deweyville, if, if somebody like Peter came to Jesus, right, Peter's a fisherman. We were fishermen, we would have welcomed him in, right? But then Jesus said to Matthew, son of Alphaeus, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And he went and dined at his home at a party. He welcomed Matthew in. And in Deweyville, Texas, we might have welcomed the fisherman in, but we didn't welcome the tax guy in, right? Most of us didn't, that is, because most of us, we kind of thought of our mindset, our identity primarily as Southeast Texan rather than Christian. But man, there was this guy, Brad, at the church I grew up in. And Brad would do anything that was needed. He would lead wherever it was needed. He would serve where it was needed. One time he was leading a big event and I was one of the first people to get there and as I pull up, Brad is sweeping the sidewalk at the church. He would do whatever it took. He would become like the people he was trying to reach that by all means, some might be saved. Because Paul understood, my friend Brad understood, and we've got to understand that the grace of Jesus Christ is more powerful than the sin of people. See, we, we look at this idea that's happening in Corinth, and when we see people not willing to become like the Jews to win the Jews, or not like the Greeks in their lives to win the Greeks in their lives, we can consider that a missionary problem. It's not a missionary problem, it's a Christian problem. Paul is willing to contextualize the content so that any and all offense in the message comes from the gospel, not his personality. And the persuasive reality embraced is the gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord, not that Paul's a great speaker. I do it all, again, verse 23, for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share with him and his blessings. So so two things, when you think about People in our culture who don't know Jesus, think about how Paul speaks of them so that I may share with them and its blessings. And then second, Paul's speaking of this corporate nature of salvation that we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross, sinners in need of a savior, and he's brought us in together into the kingdom, and he's done that through his grace, only by the grace of Jesus Christ, only by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that compares to knowing him. And there are so many of them that need to share in his blessings. For instance, Joe Rogan. So this week I'm listening to Joe Rogan and he has this guy uh, on, on my left, your right, it's Dr. Gary Laterman and Dr. Laterman is a professor of, of American religious history and sexuality at Emory University and, and Joe and, and Dr., uh, Dr. Laterman, they're discussing how they both think that profound psychedelic experiences are the future of religious experiences in America. What I mean by that is that they believe by using psychedelic drugs, people can have amazing religious experiences, and that's probably the future of religion in America. That's what they think. Now, Joe Rogan, I, it, there, there's something kind of spiritual sort of way that he speaks. Dr. L- Dr. Letterman, he'll say that he's basically an atheist. Now, he's kind of an inconsistent atheist because he likes morality, which makes no sense if you don't believe there's a God. But... He basically says it's all about the experience, not a higher power. And they speak about the subject like it's a revolutionary idea when in reality, people have been discussing this and wanting it and trying it and failing for many, many generations. Even as far back in ancient Egypt, people were using psychoactive plants. Around the time, they got visions for something like a pyramid, for tombs, for a king, We've tried it here in America in the 60s. A lot of people smoked a lot of stuff to try to see God. One of the most striking stories of this in my lifetime is, a, is the story of Sting, the, the lead singer of the police. Sting has tried all kinds of spiritual things. He and his wife have tried all kinds of weird and crazy, some awful things. And one of his biographers in an interview asked him if he had ever had a religious experience. And I mean, they've gone to the Lakota Indians. They've smoked peyote so they could hallucinate and hopefully see God. And Sting lists all these things that they've tried that I will not list for you today because we're in church. And he says, but if you're talking about a a life-altering, ego-shattering experience where you really, in truth, encounter anything like a true and living God, no, no, I've never experienced that. I'm still looking for it. And see, the church in Corinth doesn't understand Sometimes we don't understand that people are lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And they need the grace of Jesus Christ expressed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Rogan goes on to say, he's already said, I wish they wouldn't treat it as gospel, he says, I don't, I don't want to pick on Christianity. I've got friends who they're really, they're true Christians. They really believe this stuff. They are so loving. They're so kind. These are some of the finest people I know. I, I just wish they weren't so dogmatic about it, which is so, again, peculiar to me, because it's the dogma Jesus is Lord that would make us lay down our lives. I I, I wonder as I listen this week, does Joe Rogan just not have a friend who's saying, I, "I do it all for the sake of the gospel that they may share in his blessings"? Does Joe Rogan just not have a friend who says to the Jews, "I'll become as a Jew," and the Greeks, "I'll become as a Greek"? I'll become all things to all people that, by all means, I might save some. Can I, can I ask you a question? Do your neighbors have a friend who is saying with their life, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that they may share in his blessings. Do your kids' teachers have a friend who's just saying with their very life to the teachers, I'll become like a teacher to win the teachers. Does the person in the Cubicle next to you or the office down the hall, I'll become, they have somebody saying, I'll become like the person down the hall that I might win the person down the hall that they may share. And it's blessing. See, that's the wisdom Paul is living with because he understood this that the fall has fractured and broken by sin all of humanity. And the grace of Jesus Christ expressed in and through the lives of his people is the only glue that can put that back together. That's the wisdom that Paul lived by. There wasn't just wisdom, there was the work, and my goodness, it's hard work. Verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. How how do we do that? I've I've got to tell you, I, I I started running this year. And I've set some goals and there's one that I for sure have accomplished. And one is that I thought I wanna make mediocre runners look good with the way that I run. And I have a crush to that goal this year. All the other goals, not so much. If you wanna look good running, you just come run next to me. Here's what I've done though. I've started reading about running as well. And I've gotta be honest, I enjoy reading about running a lot more than I like running. But one of the things that I've found is I've read about ultramarathoners, is I've read about Ironman triathletes, people who do eco-challenges. You don't hear them say, I'm the greatest athlete in the world, when people ask them, how do you do this? Like there's a guy right now who wants to break a record. He wants to run 200 miles in 24 hours, which I never, ever want to do. And what they say is not I'm the greatest athlete or I'm the best at this or, or this or this or this. What they say is I've learned to suffer and keep going. I've just learned how to suffer and keep going. And, and maybe 2020, if it's teaching us anything, it might just be teaching us that we've gotta learn how to suffer and keep going. One of the things I've found out this year that you, you can run if it's raining. You can just keep running right in the rain. I didn't know, I was afraid I would melt, right? I I didn't. Skin's waterproof, it's the most amazing thing. Sometimes you can even run when it hurts. Sometimes you can run further than you think you can run. I can't run faster than I think I can run. Here, Here are five truths about the way that we run if we're gonna run well. Number one, we've gotta have proper nutrients. So for us, that means as people, Jesus prayed to the Father, don't take them out of the world. That's not what I'm asking but keep them from the, from the evil one. They're in the world like I was in the world, so keep them from the evil one and then sanctify them in the truth. See, if we're gonna run well, we've gotta have the proper nutrients, and for us, for Paul and what he points the Corinthians to, that's gonna be the word of truth, the gospel. We've gotta feed on the word. We've gotta be nourished by the word. We've gotta shape by, be shaped by the word. Why? Because it's a hard race. One author says, much of what Jesus asked his friends to do was simple. The things he asked them to do were simple, but they weren't easy. He told them to drop their plans because he had new ones for them. And it meant they had to give up being in charge. They had to let go of their need for control. So if we're going to run well, we've got to have proper nutrients. Also, if we're going to run well, we've got to run in community. We've got to run with a group. It helps to pace us. It helps us to keep going. It helps us to fight self-deception. So when people are trying to run a long distance, often the most difficult journey, they say, is about the three quarter mile to the mile mark. I'm not sure I believe that. I think once you hit five, it gets hard, right? But you start to talk to yourself. You start to deceive yourself. Well, this hurts. Well, this doesn't feel good. I can't keep going. I, my heart's beating too fast, right? I'm going to fall over if I keep running. But if you've got people around you to encourage you and help you keep going. You can run. You gotta have proper nutrients. You gotta run with a group. You gotta run on mission. I do not punch the air. I do not run aimlessly. There's something we're running towards. And we've gotta remember what we're running towards. And here's why. Because sometimes going toward what you want means going right through something you fear. I I made a mistake there. I put Mark Macy. That's actually Travis Macy, Mark Macy's son, who's an ultra marathoner. Sometimes going toward what you want means going right through something you fear. You want your friends and your family to know Jesus just like I do. I know you want that. But we're coming up on holidays where for some of you, it will be amazing uh, just like the movies. And for others of you, there are people you have to interact with. There are things that you're going to hear. There are are things that you might ought to say in the name of Jesus that you're afraid to say. And then there's some things you're going to want to say in response to people that you're going to need not to, right? But that's it's fearful. Can I, can I do that? What's that gonna look like? But sometimes going where you want means going right through something you fear. See, we have to have proper nutrients, we have to run. In a group, in a community, we have to run on mission, and then we have to remember who we are. This this Travis Macy's dad, Mark. Mark Macy's a high-profile, uh, he was a high-profile attorney in Denver, and I, I got introduced to Mark Macy this summer. A, a buddy of mine in Mobile um, told me, you've got to watch this show on Netflix. It's called The World's Stuffest Race. It's about an eco-challenge in, in Fiji where teams over a period of days Trek and run and ride and paddle and climb and repel 678 kilometers. And and Travis Macy, Mark's son, he could have been on a team that would have potentially won the race, but he chose to run with his dad so that he could perhaps complete the race. But it was just great time with his dad is kind of the way they set up the story. So I'm, I'm watching first episode and I'm hooked in. Oh, this guy and his dad, that's an amazing story. I want to watch it. And then Mark Macy's talking and people are talking about what a great ultra marathoner he was. I mean, he did bad water, 146 miles in the desert. And then he says, oh, oh, I, I have Alzheimer's. You should probably know that about me. And I, I got to tell you, I'm not the sort of guy who would admit that I'd cry over reality TV, right? But if I were the sort of guy who would, I might tell you that I, a little lump in the throat there. I see Travis Macy was not just running with his dad for time with his dad. He was running with his dad because though his dad knows how to run, sometimes he forgets who he is. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we might forget who we are and we might think our primary identity is, is Central Texan rather than child of God, right? So if we're gonna run well, we've gotta remember who we are and I love being a Central Texan but it just pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Jesus. Tim Keller says, if we fail to change, it's because somewhere we're not remembering who we are in Christ. And so as people who have a team alongside us reminding us, if I could today, just reminding us who we are in Christ, then we run surrendered. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Some translations say I make it my slave, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified When Paul says I discipline my body, literally it's I beat my body. The Greek word for that verb is hypopiazo. It means to give a black eye to. Paul's saying I will suffer so that I don't get disqualified. Well, what does he mean by disqualified? So that I won't stand the test. It's not that he would fear losing his salvation, but that he might fail to please the Lord. See, Paul knows and we need to know not everybody's going to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul wants to hear it. And he wants us to hear it. And so he would say to us, do it all for the sake of the gospel. As you live out Thanksgiving, Christmas, as you live at work, at home, in your community, do it all for the sake of the gospel that that we might share with them, those who don't yet know Christ, that we might share with them in his blessings. And so then let's talk about that chief blessing. See, Paul has wisdom for how he lives. He has the work that he does and it's because of a wreath that he wants. Look at verse 25, chapter nine. Every athlete, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so there were two just massive games organizations going on in the first century. The first for the Olympic Games that we still have today that are global in nature. Those took place in ancient Greece. And then in Corinth, there was also the Isthmian Games. And athletes in these games, they would train for 10 months leading up to the game. They would lay aside food that they wanted. They would lay aside pleasure they wanted. They would lay aside drink that they wanted. For 10 months, they would train their bodies over and over and over. And Paul says they would do that to receive a perishable crown. Now, when I hear that, I'll, I'll tell you what comes to my mind. What comes to my mind is a crown, but like a gold medal, right? So it's perishable, but it's pretty nice, right? You, you could sell that, but it's still really, really nice. And so sometimes in my head, if I'm not careful, you know, we, the things that we're aiming for are unseen, so, so you can kind of think, well, that, that, that crown would be really, really nice. But that's not what Paul's talking about. When he says perishable, he means perishable. These are the, the crowns that they're aiming for. So in one of the games, if you won, you could get a pine straw wreath. And then two weeks later, you could use it for landscaping, right? Or maybe you could get a celery wreath. And I, I just, when I heard that, I thought, my goodness, can you, could you have some, something better than celery, Right? Nobody this week is going, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to eat Aunt Martha's celery. A celery wreath. They're doing all this for something that's going to perish? And Paul says, but we do it for something that will never perish. And it's a really, really big deal. See, Paul, before he came to know Jesus, he was a wealthy man. He had clout in society. He was at the top rung of Jewish life as a Pharisee. He had political power. He would have had a house in the hills overlooking Judea. He had servants. He describes it this way to the church in Philippi. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or refuse or literally dung. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain. The resurrection from the dead. Here's the wreath. Not that I've already obtained this or already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, Brothers, I I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Knowing Jesus and making him known, I'm gonna run to be with him forever. So I'll become like a Jew to the Jews, like a Greek the Greeks, that by all means, I might save some. And by God's grace, Paul saw a lot of people come to know Jesus, a lot of churches planted. And that's the story that happened in the first and second century. Now, it wasn't all good news. There were hard times. In fact, in 155 AD, a plague hit the Roman Empire. I know you probably can't imagine a plague that would spread all over the world, right? But it did. It was known as the Antonine Plague. I started to say in the first hour that this was a photograph, but that would have been a mistake. is was artists rendering, reminding people of the Antonine Plague. And what the Antonine Plague was, scholars believe, is that it was the first global spread of smallpox, And we're talking centuries away from a vaccine, not months. So death was going to spread, and it did. Over 13 years, as the Antonine plague spread, 10% of the Roman Empire died. See, the army had gone off to fight a war. They won the war. They come back, and they bring the spoils of war and this little virus with them. And people were dying in the streets. And the Romans would just leave them there to die. Except Christians wouldn't. Christians would bring them water. They would bring them food. Sometimes they would risk their own lives to care for these people. They would welcome them into their homes. And those who could be saved, they saved. In this period of time from 155 A.D. to 168 A.D., only one thing spread faster than the plague in the Roman Empire. And that would be the church of the living God. Because Christians said to the Jews, we'll become like Jews. To the Greeks, we'll become like Greeks. We'll do it all for the sake of the gospel that they, these people out there that don't know Jesus, that they may share in its blessings. And man, in the midst of pain and heartache and brokenness and tragic circumstances, people shared in its blessings because Christians shared Jesus. See, this growth of the church that was exponential happened all because of the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead to forgive us of our sins and give us new life in him. It happened all because of Jesus and we want to remember Jesus today. So I'm going to ask you as we think about remembering Jesus together through communion to take a few moments and consider are there ways that maybe you're not doing it all for the sake of the gospel? That's what I've considered this week. Show me, Lord, the ways I'm not doing it all for the sake of the gospel. Are there things that would hinder you from fellowship with God right now? See, Paul said to this very same church in Corinth, Corinth on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the The Lord, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So take a few moments to examine yourselves together. I'll close this in prayer and we will partake together. Father, just like the Apostle Paul, we're free in Christ. But Lord, shape our hearts so that we would make ourselves the servant of all people. Help us to live for the sake of the gospel that the people around us might share in its blessings with us. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be hopeful as we look to the coming of Jesus and help us to be people who Have eyes and ears attentive to the opportunities in our city and in the world for people to know Jesus. We remember him today. We celebrate him today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as we take this bread, we remember him. And then Jesus took the cup He says, this is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so remembering me. And so we take this juice and we drink it to remember Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, we do remember you and we confess you as Savior and King. You're the only one who could. You're the only one who has made a way for us to be with God forever. And we're grateful, God. We're grateful.